Today on Blue 58, after meeting in Week 2, the Packers and Vikings renew acquaintances in the second-to-last week of the season. This game has a lot on the line, but it also might not affect much of anything. But it also could lead to a Packers-Vikings matchup in the playoffs. Confused? Me too. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. This is kind of a big game, isn't it? We've had this game circled since the bye week. We took a look back then at the six games the Packers were going to play after their bye week before the playoffs. And other than the 49ers, this was the obvious big game on the Packers' stretch run there. And it's kind of stayed that way. It's more or less panned out to be the big game we expected it to be. To a point, on the one hand, the Packers winning Sunday locks up the NFC North and they stay in the hunt for the two seed in the NFC playoffs, and thus the the first round bye that you get with that seed. But on the other hand, should the Packers lose this week, they can still win the NFC North by beating the Lions next week, and that probably gets them the three seed. The Lions have basically packed it in for the season, and it's completely understandable why they've done that. Things have not gone well for Matt Patricia and company in in year two up there. Don't blame that at all for just saying, you know what, I think we're good for this season. So you might pencil the Packers in for a win next week anyway, even if they don't get things done this week. Not saying you should count your chickens before they hatch, but it's at least a possibility. The Vikings have a lot to gain from this game, but less probably than than the Packers, it seems. Because the Packers, again, still have the inside track to the top non-buy seed in the NFC. So the drama perhaps muted somewhat. But as to the game itself, the Vikings are a good team, potentially a really good team. They come in at 10-4. and four. They are seventh overall in Football Outsiders DVOA metric. That's not offense or defense specific. That's just overall really solid. And they are right where they are probably supposed to be in terms of expected wins and losses. So we look at that every week in terms of how teams are doing. Their expected win-loss total is 9.9 wins and 4.1 losses. So point differential-wise, they are exactly where you would expect them to be. They are 2-3 and in one-score games so far this year, so really not doing too bad there. But really, it's it's a solid, solid effort for the Vikings so far in 2019. They are doing doing really well. They've blown out a bunch of teams. They've got a 28-12 win over the Falcons on their record this year, 28-10 over the Giants, 38-20 over the Eagles, 42-30 over the Lions, and then 39-10 over the Chargers last week. That's a lot of um, wide margins of victory. And if you want to quibble and say, yeah, I can't really count it as a blowout, if you also give up 20 or 30 points, that's fine. The point is they're still rolling up two or three touchdown victories or more in in some of these wins. All that to say this is probably going to be a tough one, so let's dive into what we feel about uh, offense and defense for the Vikings. On offense, they are 5th in scoring, 10th in yards, and 7th by DVOA. 6th in rushing, 13th in passing by that metric. So pretty solid both through the air and on the ground. There is a caveat to that rushing ranking, though, and we'll come back to that here in a second. At quarterback, I think this is probably the Kirk Cousins the Vikings thought they were getting when they gave him that $84 million contract a year ago. Yes, it was a rough start to the season. His first four games of the year, he completed just 64% of his passes, uh, three touchdowns, two interceptions. His passer rating was 88.6. 
uh, for those four games, and that includes that two-interception game against the Packers in Week 2. But his next 10 games, he's been on fire. He's completing more than 72% of his passes, has 22 touchdowns against three interceptions. His passer rating in the last 10 games is 118.1. This, again, is the Kirk Cousins they probably thought they were signing. And yes, he's buoyed by a strong running game. He has two excellent receivers, a couple solid tight ends. I get all that. But somebody's still got to execute those plays, and he's executing pretty well so far this season. It kind of just feels to me like he and Aaron Rodgers are having weird mirror seasons in a way. Their stats are are roughly similar. I give Cousins an edge, but not by a whole lot. But I get the feeling that people keep waiting for Kirk Cousins to sort of turn into a pumpkin this year. And Rodgers to kind of break out of the doldrums. It's been a rough month for Aaron Rodgers. He hasn't done a whole lot. And you kind of just are expecting him to to really put together one of those games where you go, yes, aha, this is the Aaron Rodgers that is going to lead the Packers to the playoffs. Well, sometimes you feel like you're just waiting for Kirk Cousins to be the, the kind of cornball joke Kirk Cousins that everybody expects him to be. But he hasn't been that guy in a long, long time now. He's performing really well. But I think it is fair to wonder how much help Kirk Cousins is going to get this week because the Vikings are probably going to be without their top two running backs. Their number one guy for sure. Let's talk about their backs. Dalvin Cook had a career game against the Packers in week two, but he's dealing with a couple injuries, a chest injury, a shoulder injury. It looks like he's going to be done not just for Monday night, but for the final two weeks of the regular season. Behind him is Alexander Madison who's got 462 yards in the ground on exactly 100 rushing attempts this year. He's also a bit banged up. So behind them, you've got Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah. That one from the Lions. You recognize that name. Uh, Those two guys have a combined 34 attempts on the season. Boone, though, had a pretty good game last week. He had 56 yards on 13 carries against the Chargers a week ago, and they're a pretty solid defense. So, don't just chalk up this this Vikings running game as being completely cooked because Cook is on the sideline. At tight end, you've got old faithful Kyle Rudolph. He's not setting the world on fire this year. 360 yards on 38 catches. Six touchdowns, though. Five of those six touchdowns came in a four-week span earlier this year. Behind him, you've got rookie Irv Smith, one of the guys that I mentioned as a potential fit for the Packers. A little bit smaller guy, 6'2", 240 range, more of like an H-back size. Probably not exactly what the Packers are looking for, but hey, if you're looking to draft a tight end, uh, he wouldn't have been a bad option. He's got 26 of his past 33 catches over the last eight games, so he's kind of getting his feet under him the farther into his rookie season he goes. Look, neither of these tight ends look like they're going to probably blow the Packers up, but it hasn't taken a lot from tight ends to do that Do that either, given how soft the Packers have been in the middle of their defense. And I'm interested to see how the Packers' defense does again against a little bit more competent offense. And the Vikings certainly seem like that. So if they can actually deploy those tight ends in a useful way, you may see something a little bit different uh, than we've seen from over the past few weeks against the Packers' defense because they just haven't played very many good good players the last couple weeks. Wide receiver, this is the real story, probably for the Vikings' passing offense. You've got Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, uh, as good a receiving duo as you're going to find in the league. It's been more Diggs than Thielen this year. Thielen's had a hamstring injury bothering him most of the season, and those are just tough uh, unless you get back to all the way to 100%. It always seems like something that can that can recur. We saw Clay Matthews deal with stuff like that just for years and years and years. Once it starts early in the season, it never seems to go away. Let's talk about Stefan Diggs for a second. There were some trade rumors going around with him earlier this year. You wonder how much there was actually to that. 
probably not very much. I'd have taken him if he was available. I uh, don't know how much I would have given up, but you probably would have been satisfied pretty much no matter what you would have given up for him because he's had a great season. 1,073 yards on just 60 catches so far this year, five touchdowns. As you might guess, his yards per catch average is pretty good. It's a career-high 17, 17.9 yards per reception for Diggs this year. He had a five-game stretch earlier this year where he had more than 600 yards on just 31 catches, also put up three touchdowns. That is not too bad. He also has 20 explosive plays on the year. That's more than any Packers wide receiver. Thielen, meanwhile, not having a great season, mostly due to injuries. He has just 10 catches for 109 yards and two touchdowns since week six. He's been out for most of those games. Wouldn't sleep on him, though. Had some solid games against the Packers last year. Offensive line. I've been spending less and less time on offensive line over the weeks, and I think that's just because it's so hard to get good information on them. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, according to Football Outsiders, they have the fourth best run blocking offensive line and the 11th best pass blocking offensive line. They are 20th in ESPN's pass block win rate, which is um, less good than you'd expect given their other ranking from uh, Football Outsiders. But as we pointed out on a number of occasions over the course of the year, that is uh, that has been that has been the case more often than not. It seems like those ESPN and Football Outsiders flip flop on a weekly weekly basis. Football Outsiders numbers, that is. The defense. Let's talk about defense. If the offense is the sizzle for the Vikings this year, the defense is the stake, and that's really been the case as long as Mike Zimmer has been there. They are not getting the pass rush or the passer as often as you might expect for a defense that is as good as theirs is. ESPN has their pass rush win rate as just 37% for the defense as a whole. That's puzzling. That's very, very low for them. Uh, considering how well their defense is doing in like total sack numbers and stuff like that, I wouldn't put too much stock into it, but I, I thought it was noteworthy, so I threw it in there uh, just for your consideration. They are top five in points allowed. They are near the top in DVOA as well. So uh, this is going to be a very tough defense. I'm more interested in the individual players because there are a bunch of them. At every level here, the Vikings have interesting guys to talk about. Let's start up front with the defensive line. Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin are about as good a combo as defensive ends as you could hope for. Let's start with Mr. Hunter. He is just fascinating to watch. He is all arms and legs. He's like a very strong albatross that learned how to play football. He's got a production ratio of 1.96 this year. Very, very rare levels of production from Daniil Hunter. That's a number the likes of which you typically only see at the college level. He is doing very well against both the pass and the run this year. He is a very good player, and he's causing pressure on a career-high 15.4% of rushes. Every time or out of out of the times that he rushes the pass, or out of the, the pass rush snaps that he has, more than one of 10 of them, he is affecting the quarterback. That's pretty darn good. Not too far behind him, though, is Everson Griffin. He's getting pressure on the quarterback on 12% of his rushes. He's got a PR this year of 1.35, just eight sacks, but 24 quarterback hits for Griffin, more than Hunter, who has just 21. But wait, there's more. Linval Joseph is the big man in the middle for the Vikings defensive line. We look at tackles within a yard of the line of scrimmage as a pretty solid gauge of how you're doing against the run. These are essentially runs that go nowhere. He has nine, third on the Vikings. Daniil Hunter has 13 the very, very, very underrated Eric Kendricks, the Vikings' excellent linebacker, is leading them. We'll talk about more, or we'll talk more about him in a second. Finally, 
I have to to gird up my loins and say this name just just to get it out there, just to prove to myself that I can do it. Ifadi Adenabo, there we go. Uh, five sacks for the Vikings as a rotational rusher. Um, smaller guy, 6'3", 250s range, more of a typical 3'4", outside linebacker type for a defensive end. He's got a little over 200 pass rush snaps this year, so not just tons of playing time, but he's getting pressure on almost 10% of his rushes. So keep an eye out for his uh, unique-looking last name when he is out there on the field for the Vikings. At linebacker, we've got Eric Kendricks, kind of the ultimate staff stuffer for the Vikings. He leads the team with 12 passage defense. He has made a tackle within a yard of the line of scrimmage 23 times so far this year. Just look through his box score. You'll find interesting stuff at just about every place you look. He does it all for the Vikings defense, uh, and he still is overshadowed somehow. He does a lot of great things, and he's the sort of guy that you'd love to see on the Packers. Just imagine what, what Mike Penton could do with an athletic inside linebacker like Kendricks. He was taken, I must point out. 15 picks after Demarius Randall in 2015, something we discussed in this very podcast when we did a, a redraft of the 2015 draft. He was one of the two guys we mentioned as potential first-round picks for the Packers, but let's not go back down that particular path again. Anthony Barr, also a linebacker you should be aware of for the Vikings, a supreme athlete, not a ton of stats for him so far this year. Always worth remembering, though, seems like he could have an impact play at just about any time, just because that's the kind of athlete that he is. In the defensive backfield, I want to start with Harrison Smith, because I don't know if there's an NFL player I've coveted for longer than Harrison Smith. Yes, it's not good to be covetous, but it's hard. He was taking just one pick after Nick Perry in 2012, and I think if there's one draft pick I could change from then to the present, it would be that one. How many subsequent picks would that have changed for the Packers? How many different directions could they have gone? Uh, Trying to fix their secondary. If you have a guy like Harrison Smith back there covering up issues for your other secondary players, you just, I just wish they could have figured that out, especially um, after Nick Collins is hurt and uh, Charles Woodson leaves the Packers or is cut by the Packers. It's, it's just, it's tough to see him out there for the Vikings, knowing that they, they took Nick Perry, who by the way is still counting $11 million against the Packers cap this year. Um, instead, I don't know if there's really one stat that you can find that, that typifies how much of an impact Harrison Smith can have on a game or, or how the Vikings use him. You really have to watch the people who do the tape breakdowns, but just as, as a fan, just as somebody watches the games on TV, he looks like probably the most visibly intelligent football player I've seen in a regular basis. Ed Reed is, is up there too. We, we didn't get to see him as much playing in or you know, watching him as Packers fans, but but Harrison Smith is up there as well. He really sticks out in my mind for how he affected both games the Packers played against the Vikings in 2017. He just dominated the Packers in both of the games that year. And of course, he's going against Brett Hundley, but he just seemed to know exactly what was going to happen on every play. And the Vikings just utilized him so well, he was constantly in position to make plays. And he's making plays again this year. He has 17 ball hawks on the season, 11 passage defense, three interceptions, two fumbles forced, and a sack just for good measure. He has been targeted with 32 passes so far in 2019 and is surrendering a passer rating of just 33.2 on those passes. By way of comparison, if you threw every pass into the turf, your passer rating would be 39.6. Harrison Smith 
is affecting the passing game to that degree. What's more, he is also making plays coming downhill in the run game. The average depth of his tackles is just 3.2 yards downfield, according to Sports Information Solutions. By way of comparison, Blake Martinez is making his tackles 4.2 yards downfield on average, or he was just a couple weeks ago. Smith is missing more tackles this year than he has in recent years, but not a lot more, and that's some of what you would expect with age anyway. He's 30 years old now or in his age 30 season, so we'll forgive him a little bit for that. He, of course, is not the only playmaker in the Vikings secondary. You've got Trey Waynes, who has given up five touchdowns this year, allowing completions on 74% of the passes that are thrown his way. He also has 11 ball hawks, though, so he's making up for it a little bit. Mike Hughes also has 11 ball hawks, and he's doing a little bit better in coverage. He has three touchdowns allowed, to be sure, but he's allowing completions on just over 60% of the passes thrown this way, which is a, thrown his way, which is a pretty good number as well. Finally, you've got the question mark, Xavier Rhodes. The two-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, has faced questions all season about some apparent slippage in his play. He is dealing with a calf injury, so he might not play on Monday. It's not clear how much of an impact that would make on the Vikings defense at this point, though. He has just six ball hawks this year, and it's the first time since his rookie season that he does not have an interception. He turned 29 in June, so he's kind of in that donut hole of age-related decline. You don't want to say he's too young to be declining, but you also don't want to peg things firmly on age. Kind of a little bit iffy there. What's hard to square, no matter what the source, is a big jump in success that opposing passers are having against him. Completion percentage. In 2018, passers completed just over 61% of the passes they threw at Xavier Rhodes. In 2019, that number is over 81%. He's given up four touchdowns this year opposed to just two last year. His passer rating allowed this year has jumped from 85.3 in 2018 all the way up to 124.6. It's just been a tough season for Xavier Rhodes, and even if you can't put an exact reason on why, it is a. If if you're a Viking fan, it has to be tough to see to see that decline because he's been a good player for a long time now. Last time the Packers and Vikings played was just in Week Two of this season. This is the the game where where you kind of had peak play scripting for the Packers, I think, and they rode that scripting to a twenty-one to nothing lay uh, lead. They scored touchdowns on their first three drives of the game. Four plays, 75 yards. 11 plays, 68 yards. Four plays, 33 yards. But the Vikings slowly, slowly crawled their way back into this game. Dalvin Cook had a big game, 154 yards and 20 carries. Stephon Diggs scored a big touchdown. Chad Beebe had a 61-yard catch and run. Kirk Cousins, though, maybe his worst game of the year. He had two interceptions, including one by Kevin King in the end zone with five minutes to go. Still weird that they didn't go with Dalvin Cook that close to the end zone, but I'm kind of glad they didn't. The Packers did ice this game pretty nicely, even if their offense did dry up down the stretch. They ran out all but a few seconds off the clock, uh, taking over with three minutes to go, getting it down to just the point where where they had to punt the ball, and then the Vikings had one sort of last-ditch, Hail Mary, lateral, fumble the ball, Jermon Williams recovers play. This game does stick in my craw a little bit, though. Yes, it's nice to beat the Vikings, but the Packers did benefit from some calls that are tough to tough to come around on. Minnesota had a touchdown taken away by a review on a play where they weren't even looking for what was ultimately called. So they score a touchdown, 
But then, since all scoring plays are reviewed, as broadcast teams will inevitably tell you each and every time the ball crosses the goal line, they found an offensive pass interference play, throw the play, throw the throw the flag, off come the points, and they ended up settling for uh, well for less than a touchdown. But as I pointed out then, and I will say again right now, there are no style points in the NFL. Winning ugly has been the Packers' mantra pretty much since well, week two. That was on display in week two. And it's been on display at various points for most of this season. And the Packers have won ugly all the way to 11 wins. But can they do it again? I have gone back and forth on this prediction, I think, more than than just about any other one. When I got up this morning, was driving to work, was thinking about uh, was thinking about what I would would say about this game, whether I wanted to predict a win or a loss. Uh, I was pretty firmly on the loss. As I've done more research, as I, I've done this podcast, I've started leaning maybe a little bit more towards win. Chips on the table, though. This just seems like a game the Vikings are better equipped to win than the Packers. They've just been more consistent. They're playing at home. They've got more on the line here. It just seems like a game the Vikings should probably win. And as a result of that, I feel pretty confident picking the Vikings to win this game. This would be a great statement opportunity for the Packers to say, yes, we can right this ship. We can put all our ducks in a row for a game against a very good team on the road and get a win, lock up the vision before the last week of the season, and really decide how much we're going to be able to push for that bye week or if we want to rest people. That would be a great place to be in, but I'm not sure the Packers can get there given what we've seen from them over the past week. I'm open to being wrong, and I hope I am. We will check in for sure, though, after the Monday night game on Christmas Eve. That's when the podcast will come out. That's not when the game is. The game's on the 23rd. But as we head into the Christmas season, it would be nice to be doing so with a Packers win and an NFC North championship in the bag. So I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening in. I do appreciate it. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep things going, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It does help more people find the show or whatever podcast app you choose. I do read those reviews. Went through a few of them today. Your feedback is much appreciated. If you do want to reach out another way, though, Facebook, Twitter, email, that's the way to do it. And I do appreciate hearing from listeners and readers wherever you choose to reach out. Because if you've got feedback, if you've got a question, if you've got something you want us to talk about, that does move the conversation along and it helps further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.